On today's episode, groundbreaking treatment for Tourette's tics, AI dance rave DJs and dissolvable medical tech. But first, it was on this day in 2018 that the world lost the last male northern white rhinoceros aged 45. He was survived by his daughter and granddaughter who became the last two remaining rhinos of the subspecies on Earth. Nature in these islands, if you know where to look, can be extraordinary, dramatic, and beautiful. It rivals anything I've seen elsewhere. It's not far. It's home. In a new five-part series, Sir David Attenborough will celebrate the wonders of the British Isles and reveal the dramatic habitats that exist here. Footage was filmed over the course of three years and investigates how the UK's woodlands, grasslands, freshwater and ocean habitats support wildlife of all kinds. Using the very latest technology, each episode captures dramatic and new behaviour across the British Isles, from battling butterflies to mighty whales on the hunt. It's a collaboration between the BBC and three of Britain's biggest conservation charities, the National Trust, WWF and RSPB. The UK is one of the most nature-depleted countries on the planet, and they say they want to use their collective voice to call on everyone to act now to protect the natural world. Scientists warn that when biodiversity drops below 90% of its original level, crops can fail. Globally, the average is around 75%. Here, it's just 53%, putting the UK in the bottom 10%. This is Dr Ariana De Palma, a biodiversity scientist from the Natural History Museum. We have remained relatively stable in recent years, but I think we have to be cautious about celebrating too soon because while we've made some progress, so for instance, we've seen some increase in the amount of natural and semi-natural vegetation and decreases in pasture, any benefits to biodiversity that those changes might have had have probably been offset by increases in the amount of cropland and urban areas. Tanya Steele is WWF's chief executive and speaking with Sky News, she underscored the urgency needed to halt the destruction of UK nature. There is no doubt that people really value nature for their own health and indeed their family's health as well and there are lots of things that we can do as a nation to ensure that we put it back onto a path for recovery. More than 300,000 people in the UK have Tourette's, which causes uncontrollable movements and sounds known as tics. But new technology shows promise and could help alleviate symptoms. The new Pulse, a device created by the University of Nottingham, aims to reduce tics by delivering electrical stimulation directly into nerves in the wrist. Worn like a watch, results from a clinical trial of the device have just found it reduces the number of tics by 25%. This is 13-year-old Milo Roberts, who took part in that clinical trial. It doesn't just help when you've got it on, it does. But it also helps afterwards, for about an hour. So, for example, if I'm in the cinema and I need to tick, or the theatre, something like that, where I don't really want to disturb people, I can just put it on, and then, I mean, if I put it on for 20 minutes or so, then that's probably 80 minutes, because it works for about an hour afterwards as well for some reason. Milo was among 120 people with Tourette's who tested the device for a month, which showed the severity of tics was also reduced. 
The prototype engages the patient's peripheral nervous system by sending a series of electrical pulses to nerves found in their wrist. Those signals connect to the part of the brain which is responsible for controlling ticks. Using a process called median nerve stimulation, the pulses interrupt and prevent the ticks from happening. The device already has a touch of celebrity. Louis Capaldi contacted the team, inviting them to a gig so he could test it out. The university said it's had a massive effect on the singer, who's spoken openly about his condition. Its creator says the device could provide an additional treatment to medication. What patients said to us they wanted was a uh, means of controlling their tics on demand when they needed it. So they didn't necessarily want to be cured of their tics, um, they see it as part of them. But what they wanted was that going through the airport, in a job interview, at school, during an exam, they wanted to be able to have some control over when and where they were ticking. For Milo and thousands of others, this could be another way to improve their quality of life. The team behind it hopes the device will be available through the NHS by 2026. Still to come on the Sunday 7, an AI-powered DJ and a record-breaking dive. The dance floor of this club is absolutely packed, but the DJ booth is empty. And that's because an AI-powered DJ is in charge of the tunes. In February 2023, an East London bar hosted a unique experimental rave titled Algorithm. Powering the night's pulsating techno was Mubit, an app created by a team of Ukrainian and Russian developers. Promoter George Pinigar explains how the tech works. The app's pretty cool. It's made up of lots of loops and samples that are made by people. Uh, amazing sound designers, and they compile that. Um, the app then translates that into generating things procedurally. So we can see, uh, you know, I just give it some likes and I tell it what I like and then it gradually has that bias built into it. So it makes stuff that I like. It's quite simple. Although musicians who created the samples get a cut when their sounds are used, there are concerns this type of technology could result in some musicians losing jobs, something the app CEO Paul Jordan says is inevitable. We want to save musicians' jobs, but in our our own way. We want to get them this uh, opportunity to earn money with the uh, AI because it's in inevitable that because of AI some people will lose their job. Artificial intelligence has been touted as a great distributor and investors are pouring more money into AI-focused startups. Meanwhile, workers in many industries are concerned about losing their jobs. Within the music industry, Paul says the app could open the door to new types of opportunities. Personally, I wanted to create some technologies that can help me to make music. I'm a musician uh, myself and DJ and uh, I'm producing tracks but uh, I, uh, I'm not releasing these tracks because I have so much ideas how to finish it. So generative music for me, it's, it's a tool that can finish songs for me and help a lot of musicians to realize their potential. And some think the use of apps like Mubit could open the door for more people to enter the industry. This is Pietro Caprice Caliota a computer programmer that took part in the experimental rave. I think it'll encourage a lot of people that don't have that much knowledge in music to get started just because they can, you know, come up with an idea and make an AI generate something for them and then maybe 
that will get them into the process of making music, maybe by themselves, and maybe just getting good at generating good prompts for the AI to generate good music. But what about the experience itself? Back at the bar, some of the revelers aren't convinced. It sounds like it's a bit flat, so the, the AI doesn't have an understanding of the crowd and what the crowd in the moment is feeling, so it can't adapt the music to the crowd. It's just like playing whatever music is being generated in that moment. I actually don't think AI can replace like real artists and musicians because music has to be produced uh, from a person, from the heart, with a message. That's the only way how it can connect people. A Czech freediver has set an extraordinary new Guinness World Record after diving 52 metres into the depths of an icy lake in just his speedos. David Venci plunged beneath the frozen ice in Switzerland's Lake Sills. This isn't the first time he's made history either. In 2021, he entered the record books for swimming the length of a frozen Czech lake. This time round, he took just a single breath before plunging through a drilled hole in the ice to retrieve a sticker from a depth of 50 metres to prove his feet before re-emerging through the same hole. <coughs> Upon resurfacing, he spat out some blood, sat down for a minute and then opened a bottle of champagne to celebrate. A later visit to the hospital confirmed there was nothing serious. The plunge in temperatures of between 1 and 4 degrees Celsius took him 1 minute and 54 seconds, his promoter Pavel told Reuters, which was a bit slower than expected. He told me that everything was fine. Uh, he kind of enjoyed it, but he admits that uh, he was a little bit more nervous than usual. He had uh, some problems with uh, breathing, probably bigger than he expected because no one did it before him, so he, he didn't have any expectations. What, uh, what what will happen, but uh, all in all, it, it was joy for him. No one did it before him. Uh, in terms of there was there was no wetsuit. There is nothing difficult for him to to be in cold water. Lack of oxygen, it's something normal for him. But um, this was completely different because it's really difficult to to work with the pressure in your ears uh, in a cold water. And he didn't know what to expect from this dive. And if you combine all these three things, cold water, lack of oxygen, and and the problem with uh, with uh, working with pressure. It's something very unique. David's precise training and breathing technique helped him achieve his latest world record. But for the average swimmer, sudden exposure to these temperatures can be life-threatening. Professor Mike Tipton's a leading expert in cold water survival at the University of Portsmouth and explains what you should do if you find yourself unexpectedly in cold water. When you first go into cold water, you get what we call a cold shock response. And that means you have uncontrollable breathing and a sudden increase in the work of the heart. So what do you do if you find yourself in cold water? Well, you have to fight that natural urge to thrash about or swim hard. It's much safer to relax and try and float for about the minute to 90 seconds it takes for cold shock to disappear. So during that period of floating, your body will regain control of its breathing, it'll regain control of your heart rate, and you'll start to think straight. You can start planning your next move. Most people can float. You may have to do a little bit of treading of water, but the important thing is, don't wait and find out in an accident. Go to your pool, go and practice. Cold water shock is a big killer. Still to come on the Sunday 7, dissolvable medical tech and frightening fruit fungus. Right after this.
You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. I've been all over the news recently from the hit TV series The Last of Us to reports such as the one in last week's episode of Whiskey Fungus taking over entire towns. And it looks like fungus is coming for your banana next. Watch out, sir. In the 1950s and 60s, the Panama disease caused by the fungal pathogen essentially wiped out the gross Michel, which was the main variety of exported bananas at the time. So farm workers started planting a different variety called the Cavendish, which proved resistant. Now, almost half of all bananas produced globally are the Cavendish, the type you're most likely to come across in your local supermarket. These fungi-resistant bananas proved popular, but as fungi tend to, they evolved. And now we're looking at a new strain called Tropical Race 4, or TR4, which does affect the Cavendish. It's spread to Asia, Africa, Australia, and recently South America. TR4 is currently threatening about 80% of banana production worldwide, with the most impact being felt by small farms. The fungus spreads through soil and plant materials, there's no cure, and it's super hard to get rid of once the land's infected, lasting in the soil for decades. So how do we save bananas then? Well, there are a few researchers working on options right now. One researcher is testing out a Cavendish banana that was genetically modified to be more resistant, and others are working with microorganisms that can make bananas less susceptible. In either case, it definitely raises questions about the way that bananas, and honestly all other foods, are produced right now, specifically via monoculture. That's when one variety of a certain food is grown, and it's grown en masse, like the way that many fruits and vegetables are. Entire industries can be taken down by a fungus or disease like TR4. Working to implement more diverse banana varieties could help stabilise the industry not only against fungus and disease, but also the impacts of the climate crisis. Pacemakers just got an upgrade. Researchers at Northwestern and George Washington University teamed up to develop a pacemaker that harmlessly dissolves in the body. According to the researchers, it's the first transient pacemaker ever. It's designed for patients who need one temporarily. The pacemaker's biocompatible parts dissolve over five to seven weeks. It would replace a far more invasive approach used today, and according to Northwestern bioengineer John Rogers, it's made from elements the human body actually needs. All of the materials that we're using for these uh, pacemakers um, are recommended part of a daily diet. Silicon, some molybdenum, magnesium is what we use for the current carrying elements. And when the device's job is done over a few weeks, it'll disintegrate and be absorbed or excreted. Today's devices tether the patient through copper wires to an external box, and the wires then have to be pulled out once the hearts regain normal function. And with wires protruding through the patient's skin, there's an inherent risk. Cardiac surgeon Dr. Christopher Mater explains. There's a risk of infection because you have something inside the body that is now exposed to the outside environment through this wire. On rare occasion, when we pull the pacing wire, it can cause bleeding on the surface of the heart. And so sometimes we have to actually bring the patient back to the operating room in order to correct that. The new wireless pacemaker gets its energy from a remote antenna that uses the same tech as smartphones for electronic payments. But the idea to develop disintegrating tech actually traces back to a military incident. The vision was that if an adversary captured a piece of sensitive electronics, it'd be very powerful, very useful to be able to 
trigger the dissolution or disappearance or disintegration of that piece of electronic. This research then took a huge leap forward in medical applications when a grad student in Roger's lab made a pivotal discovery. That silicon, the foundation material of all modern electronics, actually dissolves in water. Nobody thought that was the case. Silicon is kind of a miracle material in a lot of ways because it's uh, providing the semiconductor functionality in our bioresorbable devices, but it's needed for natural uh, body processes as well. So it's almost like there's a vitamin tablet element to our you know, dissolvable uh, electronic devices. For the pacemaker, researchers at George Washington University have been testing the device on animals and even a few human hearts from patients who were brain dead and had earlier consented to be donors. It's expected to be at least a few years until live human trials, but researchers are optimistic this could be groundbreaking. What's your favourite flavour of ice cream? Strawberry? Chocolate? Vanilla maybe? Well, perhaps this will help you decide. Dr James Rule's an evolutionary biologist at the Natural History Museum. Castorium is a brown gooey substance that is excreted from the butts of beavers. And essentially beavers use this substance by mixing it with urine to help them mark their scent. But what does this have to do with ice cream? The interesting thing about castorium is that it smells and tastes like vanilla. And so because of this, there is, used to be a high demand for it to replace vanilla flavouring and vanilla scent in human products. And as a consequence, beavers were almost hunted to extinction for harvesting their castorium. Today, it is still regarded as safe to use in food. But luckily, we can now produce vanilla flavouring artificially, so we don't need to use it in today's products. Mm, talk about food for thought. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.